Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Amen. Just a few short verses, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Um, then we'll dive into just a little life application talk. A bishop then must be blameless. Everybody say blameless. Everybody say bishop. I ain't a bishop. I'm just, I'm just a little preacher boy. A bishop then must be blameless, must be the husband of one wife, he must be temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. He must be hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, not covetous. That's a hard word. Everybody says it differently. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he then be able to take care of the church of God? He must not be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You may be seated tonight. You may be seated. The verses that we've just read apply to the priesthood, or a bishop, if you will, which a bishop in, 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 in the Bible time was overseer. So anytime you see the word bishop in Scripture, it really means like a pastor of what we would call a pastor today. And so what we've just read are the qualifications for a pastor, uh, but tonight you're not a pastor, um, but you are all leaders. And I believe that as Christians, as believers of people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, with people being baptized in the name of Jesus and our sins being washed away and we've turned from our sin and now we're living a different and a separate, a distinct life that, we, uh, that we've set ourselves apart to. I believe it's important that we not just look different in the workplace and we not just talk different than the people who live in sin, but it's important that we live different but we be leaders. Everybody say leaders. So tonight I want to talk about leadership. You might be thinking that you're not a leader, um, and you might not be a leader, but I think, it's, I think it's something good for us all to aspire to. As people in the workforce um, representing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the light that he shines and that his salvation, that, that the light that he offers through salvation, I believe it's important that we be leaders, not just supervisors, not just people that make a lot of money, even though I believe that that's fitting for us as well because we should be the best and the brightest. But I think regardless of where you are on the totem pole in your family or in your school or on your job or what what, whatever category we can put to that I think I think we should be leaders can I get an amen we shouldn't be followers we shouldn't follow those who live a sinful life in the workforce but we should let our light shine and so we must be leaders and the apostle Paul happens to be probably the best leader that we can look to in Scripture besides Jesus Christ himself. A.W. Tozer called the Apostle Paul the world's most successful Christian. The world's most successful Christian. That is quite the compliment. I do not think that it's a coincidence that God would take the most aggressive opponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ and even Jesus himself. Uh, I don't think, 
I don't think that it's a, I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's anything like that. But the Lord planned to take this violent man who was once named Saul, who opposed and slaughtered and killed Christians and did many violent acts in the name of hating Christianity. It's, it's no coincidence that the Lord would turn his life around and use him. And the same person who was a leader for the devil, the Lord turned around and, and used as a leader for the goodness of his will. Amen. And I think that's a testimony that each and every one of us could probably adapt to our own life in w- on one way or another. We used to be all for the world. We used to live for the party, but now we live for church. I'm thankful that the Lord turns our life around in those manners. Amen. And, and I, I, I just think that it's, I just think that it's amazing. Paul loved the Old Testament. He, he, he was known as a person who was a solid leader when he when, when, when he was persecuting the church, he was always, he was always leading people. He wasn't persecuting people alone. He wasn't killing the Jews and the Christians alone. He wasn't doing that by himself, uh, but he was the rebel. He was the leader of the pack. And as good of a leader as he was when he was living for his own desires and living for what he wanted to live for, whenever he came in contact with Jesus Christ, his leadership ability even grew more and more and more. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. He, 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 he fell in love with the word of God. Galatians chapter 1 verse 14, Paul said, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You see, Paul was a leader before he turned his life over to Jesus, as I've, all, as I've already mentioned. He was such a good leader and teacher that most of what Paul taught is still relevant today. Paul taught, Paul wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, and every principle, every lesson, every sermon that he preached in the New Testament is still relevant today. That's why it's important that we live our life according to God's Word, because, because the Word of the Lord has stood the test of time, and our life must measure up according to the Word of God. Not man's opinion, not what I want to live for, but my life must be lived according to the Word of God, and I know that's your desire as well tonight. Amen? So what Paul taught to the first century church still applies today. And, and leadership today, it's, it, 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 it's very rare um, that that, uh, that, that a principle can stand the test of time. If you've been in the workforce for a long time, if you've, if, if you've worked in corporate America for 20 or 30 years, a lot has changed. The principles have changed. You've gone, you've been sent to seminars and what they taught you 20 years ago, that, uh, 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 they don't teach you that anymore. And probably in 20 more years, they'll go back to what they did 20 years ago. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. But what the apostle Paul instructed us to live by has not changed. And I'm thankful that the word of God has not changed. I mean, in, in, in the middle of crazy times, in the middle of a recession, in the middle of loss of job, in the middle of sin, in the middle of fornication, in the middle of adultery, in the middle of homosexuality, in the middle of broken homes, in the middle of all of this stuff, abuse and chaos and drug addiction, the word of God still stands. Amen. And when we look to the left and, and when we look to the right, we might can see things that don't look right. But when we look up towards heaven, I see help coming. I, I look to the heals and I feel help and I feel strength coming and I'm thankful for that. First Timothy 3 lists several qualifications for spiritual leadership and I recognize that we're not all spiritual leaders but we are all leaders. So I think it, I, 
I think that in these few verses that I've already read, there's some good that we can all take away from it. So let's just dive into it. There's a few, there's a few categories that it falls under that I've broken down. And those categories are, there are social qualifications. Everybody say friends. There's moral qualifications. Everybody say moral. We must be moral. There's mental qualifications. We must be able to think three-dimensionally. We can't think for ourselves. We can't think of, well, what I want to do. We have to think when we are a part of a church and we're a part of a team, when we're a part of the body of Christ, we have to realize that what we do does affect others. We, we, we have to stop living for ourselves the moment that we were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We can't live for ourselves anymore. Scripture says, for you are bought with a price. You do not belong to yourself. Paul said, I am a slave for Christ. Uh, that means he is handcuffed. That means he can't, he, he can't walk where he wants to walk. He can't think what he wants to think, but he was a prisoner. If you're a jailer here tonight, I think we have a jailer here. What do you do? You tell the, you tell the prisoners what to do. You walk in line, your hand hands are behind your back. You don't talk unless you're spoken to, unless you are in your cell. That is what we are for Jesus Christ. We are prisoners. We cannot live for our own desires, but we live for the desires of our Savior who is Jesus Christ. So we must be moral. We must have, a, 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 our mindset must be right. There, there's, there's personality qualifications. We can't just say everything we want to say anymore, even if it's right. But if we say it with a bad attitude, we must, a, 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 we, we must make sure that our personality aligns with God, God's words. Then there's domestic qualifications. That's how we as leaders of our home, that's how we as leaders and parents, uh, um, that's how we rule our house. And then there's the spiritual maturity that I want to talk about. I know, I know that's a lot of things, but we will not be very long. So relax. I know that some of you just got sleepy just reading that list, listening to that list. But let me assure you that I'm not going to be very long tonight. So why don't you nudge your husband or nudge your wife and say, wake up, baby. Wake up, baby. Wake up. I saw a couple of you. I saw a couple of you. So social qualifications. When it comes to the Christian and our relationships, the Christian leader must be above reproach. We must be above reproach. Gossipers, liars, and busybodies should not have a rung on the ladder of gossip to stand on when they're talking about you and I. We cannot give the gossipers, we cannot give the malicious people any room. We cannot give the devil an inch, because if we give him an inch, he will take a mile. We must stand up, and we must be a people who is the same in public as we are in private. We must be the same. J. Oswald Sanders said that, that, that his adversary finds no opening for a smear campaign. Rumor, mongering, or gossip. The people that are against us have... We must make it hard for them to find something wrong with us. Not because we're so good, but because we are praying every day, because we are fasting. We have devoted our life to Jesus Christ. It goes back to what we just talked about. We do not belong to ourselves, but we must put on the mind of Christ. We must put on the mentality of Christ, the speech of Christ, the actions that Jesus would do, the way that Jesus would hear. Regarding our relationships outside the church, Christians should have good reputations. 
When your name is mentioned in the workplace, it should be mentioned in a good connotation. You shouldn't be known as the person on your team. You shouldn't be known as the person on your family who doesn't pay the bills. You shouldn't be known as the person who's always late. You shouldn't be known as this or that because in every action that we do, in every word that we say, we are representing Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. We cannot live for our own anymore. I cannot say that enough, but we must, we must, we must be a good witness and we must have good reputations. Everybody say amen. I know it's not super spiritual, but this is the stuff that will cause us to get to heaven. This is applying God's word to our life. We can scream and holler and swing from the chandeliers, and that's good and that's great, and we need to do that. But there comes a point in time when we must apply God's word to our life. We must live out the Ten Commandments. It's not enough that we know them. We must live them out. Amen? Amen. We cannot lead people to Jesus when we live a life of contradiction. We can't lead people to Jesus when we live a lie. We have, we have to be people of integrity and people of character. Everybody say character. We only have one character. We only have one reputation. And the thing about those two things are is you can't take them off at the door. You can't take your reputation of being a good Christian off at the door on the weekend or or during the week whenever you want to live like the devil. You can't take your reputation off. You only have one reputation, and it's a lot easier to lose it than it is to gain it. I sound like my dad right now. This is lessons. This is talks that we had as I was growing up. But I think it's important that we get back to the basics of living for God. We can be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, or we can apply God's Word to our life, and we can be the salt and light that the world needs. This world is looking for people with good morals. This world is looking for people and examples to look to who are people of integrity, who can teach them how to live a good life, who can teach them how to be good parents, who can teach the young marrieds that don't know what they're doing how to be a good husband and a good wife. Sometimes we have to get our head out of the clouds and put our feet back on this earth and realize that it's important that we be good citizens of our community. It's important that we be good example. It's important that this church have a good name in our community. It's important that when you walk in the bank, the banker knows you in a good way and not a bad way. I know this gets real close to where we all live, but we must live our life according to God's word. Can I get an amen? Our lifestyle, our testimony, and our overall happiness should inspire the unbelievers to engage in conversation with us. You should be the happiest person on your job. You shouldn't be the person that's known as a grouch. You shouldn't be the person that when people's walking into your office or your cubicle or, where, or, or however your work environment is situated, that when they walk up to you, they're walking on eggshells. You shouldn't be the person that's happy one day and angry the next day. You should have the joy of the Lord. The scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You shouldn't be the weak link in the world. You shouldn't be the weak link to your family. Sir, don't hinder your family from coming to the house of the Lord. Ma'am, don't hinder your, uh, uh, your children from being involved in Sunday school and student ministry because you're tired. If you're tired, you need the joy of the Lord. It will give you strength to overcome. And when, uh, when, you, uh, 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 when you don't feel like coming to church, that's when you need to come to church the most. That's when you need to plug in to the Holy Ghost and let him do a work in our life. We cannot live for ourselves. We are leaders, leaders, leaders. Everybody say leaders. We must raise the bar of personal consecration in our life. We must raise the bar of commitment levels in our life. We, we must raise that. 
We must, be, we must be more committed in 2015 than we have ever been. We don't know when the Lord is coming back. And I, and I don't want my 2014 to be better than my 2015. I don't want that. Hard times come. You're right, hard times come. Death, disease, hurt, bitterness, loss of relationship, divorce, sickness, you name it. Crazy kids, they come. But I, has, I still have to possess my vessel with sanctification and honor, is what Paul told the church in 1 Thessalonians. Possess your vessel with sanctification and honor. What does that mean? That no matter what situation you are walking through, you must have a sanctified heart and a sanctified mind, and you must be a person of honor and of integrity. It's really lonely up here tonight, but I know I'm preaching the word. I'll move on. Moral qualifications. Moral qualifications. And this, uh, this is really something that we're being attacked by. Um, uh, this is really something that I believe the devil uses a lot to, to, to hinder the church and hinder you as believers and us as believers and leaders. Um, th- if the Lord can get us crooked in our morals, he wins the battle. Morality is under attack more than it's ever been before. And I don't want to say too much here, and I don't want to be offensive, but the most commonly attacked area is our sexuality. As Christian leaders, we must be blameless. We must be blameless. I I, I read the scriptures just a few minutes ago. Husbands, you must be a husband of one wife. Well, I have one wife, but I also got a lady on the side. No. No. When you made that vow at the altar, it was till death do us part. And you made a promise, not just in front of your friends and the preacher and your wife. You made a promise unto God that you would be faithful unto her. Wives, you must be faithful to your husbands. Wives, husbands, you must love your wives like God loves you. It is important in this day. And I can even take it a step further because it's 2015 and it's a crazy time. And I believe that our marriages in this room are strong. I'm not trying to say that we have bad marriages. I know of no problems. But in 2015, the devil wants wants to attack our children with homosexuality and perversion. And if you don't see that, your head is in the sand and you need to get your nose out of your book or nose out of whatever it is that you're doing and you need to realize what is being taught to them at their public schools. I'm not against public school. I plan on sending my children to public school. I'm not against that. But you must be involved. We must be involved in our kids' education. It is not the school's job to teach your children how to read. It is not the church's job to teach your children how to pray. It is your job. It's not the iPad's job. It's not the, it's not the movie's job. It's not the TV's job. It's not, it's not all these other people's and things' jobs to babysit our kids. We must be parents. I'm talking to myself right now. We must close our own devices and we must teach our children the basic things. How to read, how to set a table, how to be, in, how to have manners in public. We must teach our children this. We must teach our children how to grow up and be adults with honor. We must teach our boys how to respect ladies. Sir, you must teach your daughter. I must teach my little girl how she must be treated. As she gets older, I plan on taking little Allie Loren on dates so that when one day, when she's 16, 17, 18, or hopefully 45 or 50, and she goes on her first date, she knows how she's supposed to be treated. I'm going to take her to expect. 
expensive restaurants. I'm going to buy her nice things. I'm going to make it impossible for a man or a boy to come along and sweep her off her feet. And I know you feel the same way, and I know it's funny, and I know we laugh about it. But if we can't teach our children how to live for God and our children how to be people with manners who know how to, who know how to function socially, not just around the church, but in the real world, our church will not live. I've talked about it for the last several times that I've spoken, that we must be a generational church. If our vision for this church is only as big as we are, we are failing our community and we are failing our children and our grandchildren. We must build something that lives for generations and generations and generations. And the only way that that is going to work is if you and I, as parents and adults, if we take our children and the kids of this church underneath our wing and we teach them how to be responsible individuals. But now let's go to the spiritual realm. We teach them how to pray at the altar. We can't get mad at our students. We can't get mad at our kids because they're 12 and 13 and 14 before they ever get the Holy Ghost. That is not their fault. That is our fault. We are failing our children if we do not teach them how to pray. We are failing our children if we do not teach them how to be faithful to the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Amen. Let me move on. Let me move on. Mental qualifications. This is something that I really need to work on because I'm, I'm, I'm feeble-minded at best. A Christian, as Christian witnesses and leaders, we must be prudent. We must be prudent. Prudent means acting with or showing care for the future. We aren't living for this moment. The decisions that I make today The seed that I sow today will grow tomorrow. The actions, how I act in front of my children today, will be seen tomorrow. You might not see it today, but in a few years, in a few months, you will see how I act in private because it will be manifested in my children. We must, we must, we must think three-dimensionally, even when it comes to being faithful to the house of the Lord. If I'm not there, what else is it going to affect? How many other groups is it going to affect? Well, I just sit on the pew. You're right. You just sit on the pew, but that service, there might have been a visitor on that same pew that was needing someone to pray with them, that was needing someone to shake their hands and smile at them. We must be mentally qualified for this thing of living for God. It's not something that we just speak in tongues and, 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 and that's it. No, 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 no. We have to be examples. We have to, someone trained us, amen? We're, you were discipled. You were taught Bible studies. And we can't just reach on and, and, and keep a hand up, but we have to have a hand down. And we have to be reaching the lost and the hurting. And we have to think about this. We have to be intentional about this. Businesses are not profitable just because they wake up and show up. No, they're, they're, uh, they're profitable and they, and, and they succeed because the owners know that if they don't work, if they don't go after their specific demographic or whatever it is in the marketplace, that, uh, whatever their niche is, they have to be intentional and go after that with passion and zeal. And if we do not do that as believers, if we do not do that as adults and as parents, as grandparents, and whatever your role is as an adult, whatever your role is around 
around the house of God, if we are not intentionally faithful and if we do not intentionally act out our responsibilities, we are not serving the church. We are not serving the Lord, but we are just involved in religious activity. And I do not want to be guilty of being involved in religious activity. I don't want to know the law and know the word of God, but totally miss the spirit of living the word of God out. I want to understand it and I want to comprehend it. And everything that I do, I must realize that there will be ramifications, whether good or bad, in the future. Can I get amen? If Christians cannot explain what why they believe like they do and why they believe what they believe. They are not Christians, but we're programmed robots. We have to be prudent. We have have to realize that people are looking at us. Whenever we leave this little hub of Pentecost here in Conroe, whenever we go and enter into the real world, people realize and recognize that we are different. And we must be able to tell them, no, well, I just dress different because it's the church that I go to. No, 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 no. I dress different because I want to be pleasing unto God. And we live in a crazy time period. But years and years ago, even in the early 1900s, women didn't wear pants because it was considered disrespectful and it was considered vulgar. And it wasn't until women started working in the work Force that they started wearing the power suits, the um, uh, 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 um, the pants suits, if you will. And we're not trying to be weird. We're not trying to be a cult coworker. But I'm just trying to live my life according to how society has always been. But more than that, I want to live my life according to what God's word says, because God's word says in Deuteronomy 22 and 5 that men should dress like men and women should dress like women. And we can debate all kinds of other stuff, but I know that women wear dresses and men wear pants. And so I want to live my life according to God's word. It's that simple. And then people understand, oh, well, they're not just a bunch of weirdos. No, there's scriptures in God's word, and they really want to please God. It's that simple. It's that simple. We must be prudent with our lifestyle. We must be intentional with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Personal qualifications. Everybody say personality. Personality. How many have a personality? Good. Come on, think about it. <laughs> so you might not have one if you're, if you're struggling right now. I'm just playing. If you would rather pick a fight than solve a problem, do not consider yourself a Christian. Do not think about being considered a Christian leader in the world that we live in. Christians must be gentle and not lovers of controversy. That means on Facebook, hello. Christian leaders must be actively considerate, compassionate, and see, we must see the good instead of all the bad. I get that the world is crazy. The other day, I was looking online, and the, the, of the 21 Christians from Egypt that were just martyred, I, just, I was overcome with fear. Have you just been overcome with fear? Just what is this world coming to? I was, I was absolutely... Um, I did something that wasn't very smart a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, whenever the one, um, I believe the guy from Jordan, whenever he was martyred, um, somebody on Twitter tweeted, uh, they tweeted out the link and I clicked on it and it was the video and I watched it. And so that's been in my mind and that's hard to shake. And I hadn't slept good for a couple of days. And then this other deal happened and I was just overcome with fear. I cannot see the bad. 
I cannot see the bad, even though the bad is all around me, even though perversion is at an all-time high, even though, even though divorce rates are high, even though there's a lot of single parents raising kids and it shouldn't be like that, and even though it's really hard right now, uh, uh, just living for God in general, I, we have to see the good. God is bigger, is he not? Is, is, is God not in control? If we succeed or if we fail, does that not change the fact that God is God? So if I fail, God is still good. If I'm poor, God is still good. If the circumstances that I find myself living in in this life, whether they be because of decisions I've made or whether it be just because I was dealt a a bad hand in life, regardless, God is good and I'm going to try and find the good and everything. It's easy to find the bad because the bad is what is... That's what's propagated uh, the most. But we must look for the good. When people walk into church that are obviously living a lifestyle of sin, it's important that we not snicker at them. It's important that we not run around and whisper, people are not dumb. They realize this. They realize this. They realize this. A few weeks ago, something like that happened around here. And, oh, I was hot. I was hot. Somebody texted me. And I was just, ugh. I, I let them have it. And I wasn't a Christian at that moment. But we must, we must, we must love people. Regardless of how whacked out people are, regardless of how far in sin people live, when they come in these doors, when they see us in the grocery store, when they see us in the workplace, when they see us when we're exercising at the gym or taking your kids to the park, they ought to feel safe knowing that we are a child of the king and we are not going to condemn them. We might not agree with the lifestyle they live, but we understand that God loves them. And if God loves them, they're good enough for me. If God could save me, surely God can save them. My sin might have been different, but sin is sin in God's eyes. And I'm going to love people regardless. I want to love the sin out of people. And I know that's really not possible because I can't deliver people from sin. I can't cast sin from people, but I can love people so much that they see Jesus Christ in me. And when we love people like that church family that's when the Lord is going to do a work a supernatural work the Lord can't do a supernatural work through carnal people the world can't do a supernatural work through people who have prejudices and and issues against certain type of people I know we all struggle with things in our mind and in the areas that we were raised and how we were raised I understand that all that happens but when Jesus Christ came and lived in our hearts whenever we quit living for ourselves those things have to go away. Behold, all things become new. I am a new creature in Jesus Christ. I don't hate what I used to hate, and I don't love what I used to love. I did a 180 degree turn. That means every opinion that I have, that means every place that I go, it all changes. It's not just a prayer we say at the altar, but it all changes. It's 815. I must hurry. I must hurry. Um, Matthew chapter 5 verses 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's hard to be a peacemaker when you hate people. It's hard to be a peacemaker when you gossip. It's hard to be a peacemaker when all you do is stir up controversy and and stuff like that on Facebook and social media. Let me just stop and say that social media is something that really none of us grasp and and understand. It is so big. It's so big. What you say on social media can never be deleted. Even if you delete it, somebody could have 
Grab a screenshot of it and text it around the world. What we say on social media matters. And when there's controversy in the church and when there's controversy in the spiritual realm and when there's people that know to do good that aren't doing good, we shouldn't take that to Facebook. That is not the place. Do you know how many backsliders view our Facebook pages? Do you know how many people who are hungry for what the Lord has done for us? Do you know how many people are looking at us? And it's not just when we're at the grocery store. The internet is something that we need to take into serious consideration. The internet can be the church's biggest tool or it can be our greatest hindrance. It can be our greatest hindrance. And I know we can't draw lines and, 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 and the stance that pastor has taken is we don't police people. We can't because as soon as we get a rule about this, technology is going to change and there's going to be something different. We will be writing laws. We'll have more laws than Congress if we try to do that. We can't do that, but we can draw a line over our heart like pastor always teaches and realizes that whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, that's what I'm going to think on. That's what it's going to come out of my mouth. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, but also in 2015, from the abundance of the heart, the thumbs tweeteth or Facebooketh. From the abundance of the heart, our communications will be known to all men. I must hurry. Domestic qualifications. Everybody say domestic. You know, when I first read that, I think domestic qualifications, that means mama has to be barefoot in the kitchen with a baby on her hip. But, but I would never say that. I love you, baby. As Christians and leaders, I had to lighten the moment. We just got real serious, and I, we just, I just stepped on everybody's toes. As Christians and leaders who are married, we must be able to manage and lead our families long before we can ever expect to lead the people that we work with and the children that we teach in Sunday school and the people that we sing with on the worship team or play with in the band or the peoples that we smile to and greet on Sunday mornings when we're ushering a hostess. I know, I understand that the verses that I've read are for the ministry or for pastors or for people with spiritual authority. But the reality is, is we all have spiritual authority in our lives and in our homes. And if we cannot control our homes, how can we ever be an effective Sunday school teacher? How can we ever, how can we ever, how can we ever be more successful in public than we are in private? And I know that hurts, and I know that's really real, but it's the truth. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 4, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. I've got toddlers today. My three-year-old embarrassed the fire out of me. We were at Luby's, and he started acting like a hellion. Oh, my goodness. I can't be a preacher <laughs> with how he was acting. According to this scripture, not really. I'm exaggerating. I recognize that our children, grown and young, they have their own free will and they have their own personalities and they will all do things that embarrass us as parents and make decisions that we wish they would not have made. I understand that. So I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not casting stones tonight. I'm just teaching the word of God. Amen. How many believe that the word of God is enough for us to get to heaven? Every word in it is true. Every word in it is true, and I want my life to line up to every word. Failure to keep home in order has kept many, 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 many people from being able to fulfill their calling from God. I have preacher friends, young preacher friends of mine, that their spouse doesn't have the same vision that they have, doesn't have the same desires they have, and that limits them. 
but we can also break that down to the local church. How many of you, there's, there, uh, there's people here that come to church all by themselves without a spouse. And that has to be hard. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for still seeking after the will of God for your family and for your home. And I'm not casting stones. I'm not saying that you can't be a leader. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian because you might live in a chaotic situation. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you are the only sane one or if you are the only saved one in the chaotic situation... It's important that you do everything you can to pray that husband to church, to pray the sin and the chaos out of your children out so that they can come back to church. I'm thankful that I had praying parents. I'm thankful that I had parents that when I was living like the devil and doing things that I should not have been doing, that I had parents praying and that parents taught me what was right. And Scripture says if you teach them what is right when they are old, they will not depart from it. You can find hope in that. Maybe that you're, maybe your kids aren't living for God tonight. And I know that I'm, I, I'm young enough to be most of your children in here tonight. But the, but the word of God is the word of God. And it doesn't matter who says it. That if you pray for your children and if you teach them to do right, they might not do right right now. But there will be a day when they will come face to face with reality. And they will make the decision to live for God. I'm believing, I'm believing that some of your children are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm believing that your backslidden kids are going to come back. It doesn't matter what lifestyle decisions they've made. It doesn't matter how bad they might be. It doesn't matter if they're addicted to drugs or if they've had 42 wives and, 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 and they kick the cat and they're addicted to crack. It doesn't matter how far out they have gone. God can still save them. God can still bring them back. God can still bring them back, but we must be faithful in our prayers. We must be faithful. Now my last point, I quickly close. Maturity, maturity, maturity. Everybody say maturity. We cannot push new converts into ministry or Christian leadership too fast. We can't do it. Had a conversation with my dad just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about some stuff, and, and we realized that we've made mistakes of pushing people too fast. We've pushed people too fast. The process cannot be hurried up. Brother McMahon, you know it. You've pastored for years. Seeds must take root downward long before fruit can grow upwards. What happens when the roots aren't deep? With the first storm that comes, guess what? That tree just turned into a tumbleweed. I was driving. I've told the story before. A couple years ago, some of my close friends lived just east of New Orleans. And I drove through there my first time several years ago after, after Katrina. And there was just, the city has recovered, but it hasn't recovered. If you've been, you, you understand what I'm saying. It's, it, it, it's back and running, but it's not what it once was. But I was driving out east, I forget, I think, it was, I think I was on 10, I was on I-10. And I was going over uh, the bay, a big bridge, and to the right, was the gulf to the left was the bay and the marshland and just the swamp you know if you've been there it's it's uh, there's only one new orleans you know there's only one louisiana swamp sister mac that's where you're from so i'm not talking bad about it i know that's your people and you'll come up and punch me with a french uppercut or something but there was these humongous trees that were deformed and they were ugly but they were still standing because they had a deep root system. Storms in life will come. 
and we can survive the storm. This church has survived the storm. And we look different. It sounds different. It's not as full as it used to be. The branches aren't near as full. But we survived. And the only way that we survived as a church is because we had roots sunk down deep. And the only way the church survived, the only way the church's roots were deep is because your roots were deep. And it takes time to disciple. We cannot expect new people when they come in to immediately line up. I'm not making excuses for lifestyle decisions that are wrong. Please understand that. I'm not saying that. But you were a new convert at one time too. You were a new convert. You, you might have been raised in this thing, and so you still dressed right and all that stuff, but your heart wasn't right. We have to be patient with people. First Timothy, First Timothy 3, and t- 3 and 10 says, But lest these also first be tested, lest they be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. A test is going to come. A storm is going to come. And after the storm, it will, it will be revealed how deep our roots sunk. Maturity is shown when we as believers can quit being threatened or intimidated by people who are equally or more talented than we are that come into the church. It's not my song that I sing. That's not your door. That it's God's song and that's God's door. And being territorial has its benefits but when we're ter- uh, whenever we become so territorial that we refuse to allow new people to come in, we should all be working ourselves out of a job. If you're an usher, you should be finding somebody that you can train to be an usher. If you're in media, you should be finding somebody that's interested in media. If you're a singer, the same for you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, no matter what you are in this church, well, I don't do nothing. I just sit on the pew. Well, you should be witnessing, finding more people to come in and, and just sit on the pew. We must, be, we must be constantly growing and constantly changing. Stand with me tonight. It's 825. I'll let you out of here four minutes early. A pagan Greek philosopher once said, leaders must be prudently self-controlled. They must be sober. They must be frugal, enduring, and turmoil. They must be intelligent, without the love of money, neither young nor old. If possible, the father of a family, able to speak competently, and of a good reputation. You know, we see it in corporate America now, that corporate America is not wanting good workers. They're wanting strong leaders. It's all about the team now. You're no longer an employee. What are you? You're a team member now. They're monitoring corporate America. uh, They monitor our Facebook. They even offer family counseling. Many companies, I was looking online today when I was studying, and many of the smaller businesses, which small is relative now, but the smaller businesses that are still mom-and-pop-owned, family-owned, they have multiple interviews, which we're accustomed to, but on the final interview, they ask you to bring the entire family. Why? Because they want to see what you're working with. They want to see that, am I hiring somebody with a crazy wife? Because if I hire somebody with a crazy wife, crazy might stay home, but crazy can text in and cause problems at the job. 
If we're seeing this in the corporate world, how much more important is it for the church of the living God to rise above and be our best? It's important that we be our best. It's important, it's important that we be baptized in Jesus' name, speak in tongues, the evidence The evidence of the Holy Spirit living in our life is speaking in tongues in another heavenly language that we don't know. Being baptized in Jesus' name, repenting of our sins, turning our life around, but then we must start to live like Jesus. It's not enough just to turn around, but we got to walk away from where we were. We have to walk away. You know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah comes to mind. What happens? God tells I believe it's Lot and his wife to leave. Well, they take off running. And what does the wife do? She stops. And when she looked back, what happened? She instantly turned into a pillar of salt. We can't stop and we can't look back at the world. We have to keep on living. Why don't you raise your hands? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.